Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Last time we left off hearing about the outcome of being justified. These are the fruits of being declared right before God through Jesus Christ. The idea, this idea of suffering, we heard, has been out of vogue because a different line of thinking has replaced a solid theology of suffering. Imagine that. A solid theology of suffering, which is biblical through and through. A biblical theology of suffering is out of vogue because of societal trends which promotes an existence which is devoid of stress, devoid of problems, and, and the desire to have all of our wishes granted at a whim. And in fact, this thinking has infiltrated our church our churches all over this planet on many fronts and allow believers to accept false theology, frankly, that does not have full biblical support. So in our message today, we will see and understand that suffering is a hinge point which allows God's grace to flow. Suffering, it is a hinge point which can allow God's grace to flow. Now, much like anything worth obtaining in life, oftentimes it does not come without hard work and much trial and travail. We oftentimes arrive at that pinnacle of life after being after persevering through a time of proving and testing that will ultimately secure our foundation. So just as the greatest basketball player, the star of all time, doesn't become that way simply by falling out of bed in the morning, just like the famed Jesse Norman or Kathleen Battle did not become great vocalist by wishing that it would simply happen. Just like Alexander Graham Bell didn't come up with all of his inventions just because he had this great idea one day and then the next second you know it happened. Your sanctification, just like all the greatness that occurs there, that it doesn't occur overnight. Yes, it is true that uh, we are sanctified by God the moment that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen? We are indeed sanctified, or uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, that we are indeed declared holy by God because of the blood of Jesus Christ that happens at day one. But yet there is this progress of this process of being holy, being sanctified in all of our lives. So even though Jesus has declared us to be just, uh, even though Jesus has declared you to be right before him, you know your life. You know that sometimes some of the old thoughts are still there. For that matter, even some of the old actions are still in play. So God has this sanctification process, this, this school of being made holy in which he places us in. 
that his desire through that is he wants to mature us and to make us more like Jesus Christ. So justification through Jesus, it is so potent that even the outcome of rejoicing in suffering has its own outcome. Uh, last time we talked about uh, what were uh, the four main components of being justified, what comes out of being justified. What is the outcome? We talked about that last time. But now this last one that we read about here in verse 3 of Romans 5, Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces. Suffering is that feeling caused by some real or sense emotional pain, struggle, or, 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 or trial. You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been hurt and that pain has been sustained over a period of time, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever had a diagnosis by a doctor that has put you emotionally under, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been on a job and things continue to go like south in a hurry, you know what I'm talking about. You know what it means to suffer. And as we talked about last time, no one wants to travel down the road of suffering because it creates a great sense of helplessness and a cadre of unwanted feelings. So we don't invite suffering. I always recall uh, that great patristic father back in the early days of Christianity after the times of the original uh, apostles that when they call the one bishop, I can't remember his name at this moment, but when they called upon this bishop to recant his faith, that he refused to do so. And his response to them was, uh, if you need to burn me, go ahead and burn me. If you need to set me before the lions, let the lions come and let them break my bones. Well... I can tell you that at this moment that this is something that I would not do. Maybe you and your strong faith, maybe you would say, yes, this is what I would invite in my life. But you see, the point is, is that none of us wants to invite suffering. But again, it was God who told Paul to endure suffering because his grace was enough for him. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Let's read this again. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that uh, the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, when... When, again, when Paul cried out uh, to the Lord uh, that he would deliver him from uh, the thorn of the pain of the issue in his life, and he says, no, 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 no. My grace is sufficient for you. So Paul goes ahead and states that he will boast in his weaknesses and do it with gladness so that the power of Jesus would rest upon him. How many of you would invite the power of Jesus to rest upon you? How many of you would say, Lord, give me your power today? But how many of you would say, oh, Lord, let the suffering continue? How many of us would do that? Our passage here now in Romans 5, verse 3, it tells us to rejoice in our suffering. Now, it does not say to rejoice because of our suffering. He says to do what? Rejoice how? In our suffering. And again, not to rejoice because of our suffering. To rejoice in our suffering means we find reasons in Christ to thank Him and worship Him for His presence. 
It means our sense of who we are in Christ and who we belong to, that it motivates and drives us to a greater sense of God not allowing our foot to stumble so that when we go through, we know it is God who sustains us, that it is God who upholds us in the midst of terrible times. But to rejoice because of our suffering means to celebrate the fact that you are in pain. To celebrate the fact that you are in great discomfort. Remember that time that I was laid up in the hospital. And the Lord, he knows. Uh, never at any time did I rejoice in my suffering. As I laid there, and as, as I considered whether or not if I was even dead, I was not even sure if I was alive. Somehow inside of me, inside of my head, I was saying it seems like I'm here, but it seems like I'm not here. Oh Lord, deliver me from this place. I don't want to be here. So the question for us is this. Would you allow suffering to enter into your life if you knew there was a positive outcome down the road? Would you allow or welcome suffering to enter your life if you knew that there was something great coming down at the end of the story? This is the crossroads that we face. It is a crossroad because we don't get to choose whether or not we suffer. Suffering just happens. Suffering just happens like you're minding your own business, and then it just happens. I recall years ago when I had uh, uh, taken a trip uh, down to Mexico, and um, uh, one of my first stops, I had to visit a family down there in this uh, small town near Mexico City. And I arrived there, and, uh, and I won't tell you about my trip there, and I get there, and, uh, and I knock on the door, there's no answer. You have to understand where I am. I mean, literally, I am in the boondocks and how I got there. You don't want to know how I got, got in the boondocks in Mexico. And all I knew how to do was how to count in Spanish. But I made it there. So as I went to go to the window to tap on the window, just out of nowhere, this big, giant wasp, I'm just minding my own business, he stings me in the back. And it was so vicious that it felt like someone hit me in the back with a bat. You know, so I shrugged it off like that. I said, ow, I was doing like that. And I started moving around. The next thing you know, uh, either him or another one comes and stings me a second time in the back. And then, believe it or not, I get stung a third time. And each time, I felt like someone hit me in the back with a bat. Suffering is like that. You're just doing what you're doing, minding your own business, and then it happens. Oh, Lord, why me? But what if? What if, for a moment... God was trying to work some things out in you where he would ultimately receive the glory. Would that then be acceptable to us? Would we then bow down a knee to the sovereignty and the providence of God? This is the case, however. The Lord wants to be glorified in and through your life. Matter of fact, I dare you to say that even now. God, be glorified in and through my life. I dare you. If he is glorified through you, then others may glorify his name because of your faithfulness and your love. So what is now uh, the mindset that we take on when suffering enters into our life? We can harbor the thought uh, that God no longer loves us. When we suffer, we can say, God doesn't love me. Because if God truly 
loved me, I would not be in the situation that I am in now. So you can become bitter. You can become mad at God, beginning to think that God uh, no longer cares for you. And then what happens? You take the next step in a downward spiral. You could then be, begin to believe that you are in sin. This is the why God is allowing you to suffer, because you're in sin. Face it. Some will tell you. God is punishing you, but you can't even figure it out. But one thing you know, you keep saying that God says in his word that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If this is true, then God, why are you punishing me for my sin? And then it spirals downward still. And you may surmise that God is so upset with you that heaven has become like brass. What do I mean? That God doesn't want to hear your prayers. In fact, Proverbs, I think it is, the scripture says that the prayers of the unbeliever, in essence, is in an abomination to God an abomination to God. You pray and God is not answering your prayer. Why, God? Why are you not answering my prayer? You've answered my prayer before. Why not now? now for some people, this becomes very critical. Something very critical to overcome uh, because if you can't get over these ideas, then it can result in you turning your back on God. You may stop going to church. You may stop reading the scripture. In fact, you may not even want to fellowship with God's people. All because of God doesn't want to hear your prayers. You may suffer because someone is trying to get you compromise in your faith. But listen to this. Some of you may not have issues with suffering concerning a physical or emotional maladies in that vein, but some of us may even suffer on our job. What do you mean? Some of you may work in places where uh, your job is very dangerous, but you manage it. But you suffer. You may suffer on your job because you've been working for minimum wage and you can't figure out how to get over that hump. Never have any financial peace, so you suffer in your heart. And then there are those interpersonal relationships that you absolutely have to endure. Because you need a job, but yet when you go to that job, you have a hard time. But in all of this, could God be trying to work something out in your life? Is God speaking to you about yourself? Is it about the situation? Or is it about you? Please discern God's will. So there are different reasons why suffering enters our lives, but today, here it is. Today, we focus on character. Your character. Your character. My character. You know for yourself how the Lord requires us to display the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? You've read in those scriptures over and over again that if you love Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit indwells in your life, that you're supposed to display the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Come on, you have got to read this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, you have one before you. And if not, there's one on the screen. If you have one, open up your Bible. Open up your Bible. 
and you circle this passage. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I need to read this again, you see. Paul says, but the fruits or the produce of the Spirit or the result of the Spirit existing in your life, that it is, what does he say? Come on with me. He says, love, come on, joy, come on, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. There it is. You are the fruit tree. What are you producing? God says that if the Spirit is truly dwelling inside of you, that the result is Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These characteristics are a sign that you and I, that we belong to Jesus Christ. All right, so here it is now. Here it is. Right, so if you have an apple tree in your yard that you expect the apple tree to produce what in the fall? Apples. Uh, if you have an orange tree in your yard, not likely up here, uh, that you know uh, that in its season that the orange tree is supposed to produce what? Oranges. What would happen if the apple tree or the orange tree never produced any fruit? You dug it in, you fertilize it, you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and it never produced any fruit. What would you think? I don't know about you. I would think that there's something wrong somewhere. Wouldn't you think that? You know that there is a problem somewhere. If you don't never get any apples, and if you'd be like me, one of the things I'd do, I'd go ahead and just chop it down and get rid of it. I had a tree in my backyard another place that we lived, it was called a Japanese maple tree. Red leaf Japanese maple tree. And it had these red uh, translucent uh, leaves that when the sun shined through, it's just such a beautiful sight. And I had it there the first year. Then the second year, it started producing all these old ugly looking leaves. And the third year, it got even uglier. So I said to myself, then, why do I have this tree in the first place? I don't want it. I don't like it. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. So do you know what I did to that tree? Yes, I did. I cut that sucker down. I, got, I dug that thing out of my yard, and I put some grass seed there. I said, I don't even want it. Because the reason that I wanted it there in the first place was to enjoy, here it is, uh, my word of the day, it's foliage. I wanted to enjoy uh, the sun uh, beams uh, going through those red leaves as I sat in my backyard. Shoot, I could have put any old tree there. But since you're not going to do what you're supposed to do, then you're out of here. So what happens with us? If we're unable to step up to the plate to display the fruit of the Spirit, we see what should have happened. For God, this becomes a problem for him with you. If you are not displaying those things that we talked about, if you are not displaying you know, kindness and gentleness and love and peace and self-control, God has a problem with that. 
Number one, either you don't know the Lord, maybe that's the reason that you're not displaying these in your life. Maybe this is why you're not as gentle as you are. Maybe this is why you're not hearing God saying that you need to be gentle to fix the problem. Maybe there's a reason why you say to yourself that you can't love another person. You have a problem if you're not producing love. If you don't have self-control in your life, uh, that being one of the fruit of the Spirit, knowing that God has a problem with you not displaying that. God got a problem with you. It's a problem because he's saying you belong to him. Yet you are refusing his calling to bring about more spiritual change to your life. <laughs> you see, getting saved is not the only decision that you make for God. Amen? You say, yes, I accept uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer. I am now his son and his, and his daughter by faith because of what he did for me by shedding his blood. This is true, but then the rest of the work begins and we take part of that. That first part is all on Jesus and he does it in great fashion. And for that we can say amen. But this next portion concerning our progressive sanctification that we must participate in. We need to make a decision to grow in our faith and to mature in our belief. But if you're not heeding his call, if you're not growing in your faith, if, if you are not maturing, then I believe that God now introduces something to you which will, which will hopefully get the job done. What is it? Suffering. But remember again, suffering is one in which we should rejoice or boast while we're in it and not desire that it enters into our life. Romans 5, verse 3 again, tells us that suffering produces. It is like a farmer who prepares the soil to grow her plants. Suffering produces the good soil in our spiritual lives. Remember, good soil is necessary to produce healthy and vibrant plants capable of making healthy and vibrant fruit. They, uh, again, back on this theme, because you can't get out of this uh, agricultural theme that we find in Scripture. Again, as I told to you before, we planted several plants in our backyard, in our little garden in the back, an area about 20 by 20, and we planted about uh, six tomato plants. And every single tomato plant, every single one, can you say every single one? Every single one grew at least six feet tall or more. Some grew taller than I am, probably about this tomato plant, about this tall. I failed to stake them, so they end up uh, bowing over. They had plenty of room to grow, and the soil was good. But now I have to talk about my father. Uh, someone planted a tomato plant for my father, probably around the same time. And would you say that that plant was probably about this big? So this is the same region. They're breathing the same air and the same sun, but... The plant only grew about this tall. Did you ever get any tomato plants off of that? Tomatoes off of it? Okay. Yes? No? You got some tomatoes off of it? Yes. You say you got some tomatoes off of it. Right? But it only grew about this tall. So what's the difference between here and here? It has to do with the soil. For our soil, again, we amended our soil. We added all types of fertilizer there, and I cared for the plants. And for his soil was a little bit different because it had, it was city dirt, amen? So it had rocks and glass and a whole bunch of other stuff found its way in that soil. So therefore, the, uh, the roots of the plant was not able to be free and to grow like it should grow. But you see, for uh, the other soil, uh, because it was, uh, I guess it had the correct nutrients in it, it, it allowed the plant to flourish. Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, verse 20, But those 
that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So what happens for us, brothers and sisters, is that when you and I, when we suffer, well, not at our own hands, but when we suffer, that what it does, it begins to till up our spiritual ground. Amen? And it begins to, to, to provide nutrients, if it happens the right way, so that we can grow fruit unto God. So here it is. The fruit of suffering. Number one. The fruit of suffering produces endurance. The fruit of suffering produces endurance. Endurance is a key element in who we are and even what we believe. It is, we will find in our passage, the word patience. Patience. Or endure or endurance. These words occur sometimes interchangeably throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. But endurance is critical if we are truly committed to Christ and the plan that He wants to make in our life and the role that we need to play. Therefore, God says that we must be people who are patient and we must be people who can endure good times and the bad times. To endure means having the ability to remain where we are without being uprooted by the slightest wind which ultimately comes along in our life. Because you know what happens in our life. You know how things go on in our life. Uh, that we can just, again, we can mind our own business when all of a sudden things change. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, concerning what we believe. He says here, Ephesians 4, 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carry about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, we're often very good while we're in church, amen? We feel strengthened through worship and are firm through the body of believers who encourage us. But oftentimes, as soon as we leave or, or hear something outside of church that contradicts our faith, our inner spiritual stability begins to move and to shift as if we don't know God's Word. We then become unable to endure and persevere because we heard something else. Because we know that something else is always in the news somehow. Because they're trying to demean the Christian faith. But Jesus is as real as you and I. The real or perceived suffering you go through should never be enough to move you off your sure foundation that you find in Jesus Christ. This endurance extends not only for a situation that you may personally go through in your life, but even at home, in your relationships, on your job, in your car, just anywhere that there is conflict. But remember this. Broken people attend church. Broken people attend church. And if you want to be made whole, then you not only need the church, but guess what? You need God's broken people, amen? Who do you think is going to show you how broken you are other than God's people? God's people are going to show you how broke, broken, I don't want to say how broke, but how broken you really are. See, you will always have a good time in church as long as you keep an arm's distance. As long as you never know anyone. As long as you can slip in and slip out. And as long as you can kind of be like, uh, 
how I used to make tea when I was a kid. You pour your hot water, right, and you take your tea bag, as I heard someone say one time, and, and you dip it in and you dip it out. You remember that? You dip it in, you dip it out. You dip it in, you dip it out. You dip it in, you dip it out. And what do you end up? You end up with weak tea. But what I discovered is that in order to have real tea, in order to have strong tea, that you take the tea and you put it in the water and you what? Leave it there. And then when you leave it there, that's when the tea becomes strong. You see, you can't become strong in your faith and relationship, uh, in relationship to God's people by dipping in and dipping out of church. Amen? You have to enter in because eventually somebody in that church is going to tell you about yourself. Amen? Eventually, somebody in that church is going to tell you about yourself. They're going to tell you how ugly you are. Now, I'm not talking about how you look physically, right? how ugly you can be in your personality. They're going to tell you about you don't have any love. They're going to tell you you don't have self-control. And then oftentimes our response would be, who do you think you are for telling me off? I can't believe those people in that church are like that. So I'm leaving and I'm going to another church. And you go to that church and then you enter in a relationship, they tell you the same thing. And then you run and 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 you never grow. You will never grow in your life because you cannot learn to be patient and allow God to work his will in your life. This is how it happens. This is how we do it, right? In the body of Christ, if you want to get strong, you endure, you listen Listen to what thus says the Lord. And again, God, he will use his people. And then, if you, are, if you are married, you get a special dose, a special helping. Amen? If you are married, you get a special helping. Ain't that right, Pastor Scott? So he can say that now because his wife just walked out for a moment. It don't happen, it don't happen with me, Pastor Scott. We're good. So you have to tell me about your experience there. So, basically, the closer you are to people, the more God begins to show you about yourself. You can be a lone ranger all you want. All you want, you can be a lone ranger and never, ever experience the, the sanctification process that God has in store for you. So, broken people, man, well, they will take you right to the edge every time making you want to lose it and give up. But I want you to know you are stronger than that, my brothers and sisters, amen? You know better than that, that the Holy Spirit has given you more power than just to give up just because someone said something. Frankly, if you can't make it past this level of being in the furnace and you end up getting out of the furnace ahead of time, Guess what? You have to go back in. Amen? Okay? It's like, come on. If, if you've ever baked chicken, chicken has, especially chicken for me for a long time, not so much now, but it has been like an albatross for me trying to get chicken right. right? I remember when I first started cook, cook, cooking chicken that I would throw it, I would, uh, when I tried frying it one time, I, I turned the fire. I didn't know any better. I should have known better, seeing my mother cook so much. Uh, but I, I put it in the frying pan, and I fried that sucker. The heat was really hot, and I fried the other side, and after about 10 minutes, that chicken was looking good. I took that chicken out. Man, it was looking so good. I was so confident in my culinary skills uh, that I went ahead and I grabbed that hot. It was hot, too. Amen? Boy, that hot, that chicken was hot, and it was golden brown. And I went ahead and I took a bite of that chicken and, oh, my bleeding heart. That chicken looked like it had been in a war. It just began to gush blood out. So there was only one thing that I could do with the chicken. I could either throw it in the garbage and the Lord know I wasn't getting ready to do that because I spent my money on it. Or I could do what? 
Take the chicken and do what with it? Come on. Yeah, lower the fire first. Right, I get it now. I get it now, right? Lower the fire, but nevertheless, uh, 350 degrees to me is just as hot as 450 degrees or whatever. That's hot. I had to take the chicken and put it back in the skillet. Why? Because it was not ready yet. So if you are God's son, if you are God's daughter, and you experience the furnace as God is trying to sanctify your life, and you get out of God's furnace too soon, guess what? God will send you back. We must learn to endure. We must learn to endure. The next thing he says here, Romans 5, verse 4. So suffering produces patience or endurance. Now he says in verse 4 that endurance produces character. Let's read. Verse 4, please. As a matter of fact, let's start in verse 3. Not only that, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. There we go, verse 3. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So it says here that endurance produces character. So out of the furnace of suffering, out of the furnace of endurance, comes our character. You understand it's just not a matter of going through, but a matter of going through trials demonstrating that you are fully grounded in Christ. What you could learn after going through difficulty and having endured a great deal is a way to work the system. So you can come out of this and say, what I've learned through my suffering is I know next time if I go through how I need to work the system. So working the system could honor the Lord, or working the system could mean you've learned to cut corners, to lie, and to cheat your way to success, because that's the way things are done. Now, for each area of our personhood, I believe we're all tested to a great degree. So even though, uh, for me, it might be gentleness, for you it might be patience, for another, it might be self-control. You may lack self-control. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? Men, you know what I'm talking about when you cannot turn away from the pornography. You know that when you hit that site, uh, you know that you are so tempted to go ahead and put in whatever you put in there. If someone were to look at your internet records from your phone, your tablet, or your computer, what would they find? If you invited me to your house to take a look at your computer, as a matter of fact, invite me to take a look at your phone, I could even look at your phone and look at all the websites you've visited on your phone. Would you invite me to do that? Ladies, what about you? What about your pornography? about your gossiping if you were invited if you invited me to take a look and certainly you're invited to look at mine if you invited me to take a look at yours what would I see truly what would be there where's your character brothers and sisters if you're still struggling Know that God is coming after your character, amen? Because he wants to see a better you. He wants you to reflect more of who he is. You see, this is why, and here it is, this is why a leader of the church must be tested, amen? A leader within the church must be tested. If you notice, and, I, and I've said this, probably for years now, but it's becoming more and more evident now that the bottom line is that many of our, our corporations, that they've been hiring folks for their bottom line, their financial bottom line. But what they're discovering is that 
it's leaving so much mess in the wake that now, in their wake, that now they're starting to look at character. That oftentimes when there is a major issue, this is what I've discovered, and this is why leaders must be tested, that when there's a, a major issue in one area, I guarantee you there's something else going on. I'll say it again. When there's a major issue in one area, I guarantee you that oftentimes there are other things going on. When it has been verified that they are out in this one thing, I guarantee you. So if you are working for folks and you see some things going on, then you're probably going to have to deal with something. You need to start praying what you're going to do. Amen? And I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. So leaders within the church, they must be consistently observed. Because if they cannot be observed, if they don't, if you don't have self-control in, in God's house, how are you going to lead God's people? I'll say it again, right? If you don't have self-control in God's house, how can you lead God's people? How can you be an example to the flock? What are you, you going to show them? What are you going to preach to them? How not to have self-control? And then what will happen is you will end up giving them what you have. You're going to end up giving them a lack of self-control. Uh, self you will give that to them. So brothers and sisters, know that the standard is high. Amen? And if God is after you and after your character, then I would tell you to embrace it. Embrace what God is doing. If God's people are, are, are saying some things about you, don't get mad and run away, amen? Accept it, improve, uh, put yourself before God, and allow God to strengthen you, amen? Amen. Character is so important that the Lord insists, you hear what I say, insist? He insists it be a hallmark of every single Christian. Character next, it produces hope. And we've uh, talked a little bit about this last time. That again, just in a nutshell, that this hope is nothing like we see in the world. It is a hope that's built on the real person of Jesus Christ. It is the hope that's built on knowing that Jesus is coming back. As sure as Jesus was here, as sure as he was crucified, as sure as they buried him, as sure as he was risen from the dead, as sure as he appeared before his disciples, as sure as they saw him go up into heaven, know for sure that Jesus is coming again. Amen? Jesus is coming again. So again, some people will say, well, I'm hoping that he comes because I can say hope because I'm not quite sure. He might come or he may not come. No, you hope, you hope that your car is going to get you home today, amen? Right? You, you, you think that your ride is going to get you to the store when you leave church today, amen? You, 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 you hope that nothing's going to happen to me when I, uh, when I get to work tomorrow, you hope, or when I get to school, you hope, because you're not like 100% sure, but the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, it is a confident hope. It is a hope of assurance because we know that we know that we know that Jesus, he is coming back again. And he says here, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Very quickly, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I think verses uh, 13 and 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have something in you already. You have a guarantee in you already that God has sealed you in your heart that this guarantees that you're going to see Christ again and he's going to see you favorably when you see him. If you have not Christ, you have not the seal. If you have not the seal, you cannot have true character. You cannot have true endurance. You cannot have true hope. But in Jesus Christ, he has sealed us. And for that, we can rejoice. For the love of God, which has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit, has been given us. Amen? So, finally, we can choose how we respond when presented with suffering. It can lead to our maturity or it can lead to our bitterness. Maturity or bitterness? Will you choose bitterness and have your spiritual life become less vibrant and dull? Or will you choose to rejoice in it because Jesus will truly make it turn out for good, even your good? Brothers and sisters, suffering is not easy. We all know this. We all know suffering is not easy. And as our brothers and sisters sang hundreds of years ago, in our hearts we also sing. They said, there is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. They said, sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in vain. But then, but then, the Holy Spirit does what? Revives my soul again. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul.